Well, without further ado, I have to say, go ahead, sound team. We have a special person coming for today. It's Steve Arsenault, the one and only strategic teacher of the word of heaven, directing the past, revealing the deep truths of scripture, the new apologetic captain of America, bringing forth conferences from across the nation. Amen. Love you, Steve. I knew you'd really like that, and so I did it because I thought you would just be like, Sean loves me. I feel so loved. That's, a, that's exactly what I'm feeling right now. What? Uh, you can't, what? No. You can't I, I knew it. You can't do a message after that. <laughs> you want me to pray? Lord, Holy Spirit, come and just help Steve through his weaknesses of not receiving praise and love. Open his heart that he'd know love today. All right, thanks. All right, I'm... What I'm going to preach about today is about registering for apologetics conferences when the Lord provides them to us. Okay, I really felt like the Lord put this on my heart last night. When I looked at the fact that we're less than two weeks away from this thing and it's going to be out there in the tent. And then I checked the registration sheet and I was like, there's clearly like at least 100 of you still not on there. I started thinking we need to start implementing some Old Testament tactics. I'm just kidding. I'm going to preach something different, but just go register. Oh, my God. What the heck, guys? If you were my kids, I'd punish you. All right, just kidding for you progressive parents. I don't punish my kids. I discipline them in love. See, look, there's two of my oldest, and they are so loved. Um, speaking of that, John 15, 13, that's the message I'm starting with. That's uh, scripture on love, because I'm loving, and I receive love really well. Um, I don't usually title my messages, right, Aaron? Um, but if I were going to title this one, I'd title it A Mother's Touch, because it's Mother's Day, and there's so much pressure. To preach on Mother's Day. Oh, you got to preach a message that stirs people's heart, that moves people's spirit, but also is about mothers. There's not a ton of source material in this book to come up with new Mother's Day messages. And that's why I've been banned from Mother's Day, Steve. (laughs) I know. I know. I knew something was up when I got the call, Sean. Um... All right, so amateur comedy hour is over. John 15, 13. This is a message, passage where Jesus says, No greater love has anyone than this, than to lay down your life for another. Right? Some translations say brother, friend, neighbor. It's just for another person. There's no greater love than this. And we think immediately, at least I do or used to, 
We think of that movie scene where someone like runs and jumps in front of the bullet, <laughs> takes the bullet for someone, and you're like, okay, they left. Or someone is willing to, you know, to die in the place of someone else, no greater love. And that certainly can be one of the ways no greater love is demonstrated. But for a Christian, for a firmly rooted, mature Christian, dying is not much of a sacrifice. Paul literally said that to live is Christ, meaning to live the life of Christ, that suffering, obedience, learning, sacrificial life, but to die is gain. Right? So mature believers see dying as gain. This same guy later on literally said, guys, I have a choice, and I'm telling you, I prefer to die right now and just be with Jesus. But instead, I am going to sacrifice and stay here longer for your benefit. So Paul saw living longer here on the mission as the sacrifice, not the dying part. He saw the dying as gain. He saw the dying as promotion. He saw the dying as the reward. I've run my race. I've finished it. Uh, there's now a reward waiting for me when I die. He later tells us this, that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices holy pleasing and we know that the bible says that jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered which means before the cross he had already learned obedience which means he lived a life of suffering can you imagine being god in the flesh in diapers can you imagine god in the flesh before his time seeing sick and lost people and his very people just totally lost and him wanting to do something about it and realizing it's not his time so to me, the living sacrifice is almost a greater demonstration of the John 15, 13 truth. No greater love has anyone than this than to lay down their life daily, every day, all day, 24-7 for others. And there's so many examples throughout history of people who do this. But for our everyday life, no, no role embodies this more than a mother. Okay, and I know I'm a 44-year-old man up here, so I'm not a mother. I don't have any personal experience, but I know in the business world, 20-plus years of experience in anything makes you an expert. That's the general line that defines whether someone's an expert or not. It's 20-plus years of experience. Well, I've had a mom for almost 45 years. And I've lived with a mom for like 43 of the 45 years I've been alive. Multiple moms. I've seen different types of moms, and I've lived with moms. I've personally been uh, exposed to so much mothering. I'm an expert. I'm going to share what I've learned from my expert experience with mothering here. <laughs> I lied about the comedy hour. It's still going. But I really do. I think mothers, when you look at a mother, right, they don't get a break. It's 24-7. There's no shift ending, right? It's, at least that's what I've seen. That's what I've observed. That's what I've watched. Uh, they embody the role of laying down their life all day, every day, right? And a godly mom literally lives in a place of supernatural sacrifice. And they put it on display, and it's demonstrated. It's a testimony of something. You know, and as a disclaimer, guys, here's the thing. 
One of the greatest mothers the earth has ever seen was never actually a physical mother. You guys know who Mother Teresa is? Okay. She never had biological children of her own, and yet she's the iconic image of mother on the earth. Right? Paul was never a biological father, yet he claims multiple people in Scripture as his sons, and he claims himself as a father. This, this identity, this principle goes far beyond any biological reality that you might feel limits it. It doesn't. But God did create the natural realm the way it is, and so we do see in his created order examples that really testify stuff about who God is. And we see it lived out by very imperfect people doing uh, a calling that, that almost demands perfection. Every day, all day. I've had, uh, like I said, my mom. Where's my mom? There's my mom. Raise your hand, mom. She's Diane to a lot of you guys. Right? I mean, moms are crazy. We know that. No exceptions. I've had my fair share of pots and pans and bricks and different things, you know, moving in my direction from her general vicinity. I can't. No evidence she's the one who did it. It just, I, my eyes were closed, so. Um, but she definitely, uh, she's a superhero, right, as a mom. I grew up with her, so I know all her flaws. Well, most of her flaws, I've seen them. They can be glaring at times. But what you don't see all the time is the superhero status of a mother who raised two kids, who adopted two other kids from one years old on and raised them as her own, who took their children in her whole life, those whose parents and their homes were a mess, they were in jail, whatever, she would take them in short-term, long-term, heartbreaking realities of pretty much raising these children as your own for years and having to give them back. Um, then, you know, her along with my dad would go every Saturday for years and years and years. They traded in our family vehicle for an 18 passenger so they could drive into the projects every week and pick up kids from the projects from, you know, single parent homes, adopted homes, orphan homes, just, you know, really rough kids to bring them down to sports fields. And then they ran a, a sports league for, you know, almost two decades for these kids and put it on there. Um, and, you know, now she's done an amazing job raising a Jesus loving grandson uh, on her own for the most part. Um, and then, guys, on top of all that, she works full-time job, uh, and then she serves, like, 99.9% .9 of the women in this church, is what it feels like. Right? You guys know her as lady die, or die, or mentor die, counselor die, cry on my shoulder die, uh, yell at me die, and then realize afterwards she was right, so I'm sorry die. Um, <laughs> you guys have all these dies, and that's just one mom. That's just one Right? That's pretty impressive. You know? Uh, Stephanie Foster, a lot of you guys know she's been a spiritual mom in my life for a long time. And she, along with Sean, but she carries a lot of the burden for this ministry from the time it was born on supporting Sean, encouraging Sean. You know, Sean gets into his molly grubs. You guys know that. Everyone here knows Sean, right? Very melancholy. I identify as a know. father, not a mom. Yeah, he's definitely a father. <laughs> he's like an old grumpy grandfather at this point. Stephanie's really doing a lot of work there. Um, but she's done a ton raising five kids as well as uh, half the men and women in this church that are under the age of 35. She's had a hand in doing that 
Um, and then, you know, the, the third mom that I've been exposed to most of my life is my own wife, who's had four children spaced out four years apart. Who does that? Just us. We're crazy. Um, so she's been parenting for a solid 19 years and still has a solid 10 more years to go. Um, she homeschools all of them because she's crazy. Um, and listen, if anyone knows Melanie, you know she, the last person who wants to homeschool. Right? How much do you love homeschooling? So much. Right? Terrified, does not, never believe she had the ability to do it, but now we have two people who are almost done with, one's done with high school, one's almost done. They're both super smart. Uh, they love Jesus. Uh, that's a testimony to the sacrifice of a mother who has never felt adequate enough, who has never felt equipped enough, who has never felt like she could do it, but somehow in the end, it's been done. Right? And what did it? Is, it? is she a rocket scientist? Is she a math major? She's none of those, although she graduated high school with honors. <laughs> but she's not. She's not a teacher. She's, doesn't, she's not a master of these topics. But it's just been that sacrificial love of waking up every day and laying her life down from morning till night, every day, all day, not just for her own kids, for other kids, for people in her lives, for her husband, for everyone. That's just what mothers do. They live out this life. And this is not by accident. God designed this role specifically what roles that fathers can't do, what roles that uncles and aunts and other people can't do. It's something specific. So why did I say all that? Because it's Mother's Day. But also because mothers are central to the mission of God. Central to the church's mission. Central to the gospel. And we don't think about it often because Mother's Day comes once a year. But on this day, we're going to think about it. We're going to talk about it. The centrality of this mission and where mothers fit. Now, remember I said there's not a lot of source material in the Bible. Like, we could go to Mary. We could go to Naomi. Uh, there's a couple other mothers, but there's not much written on them. You really, it would be really hard to preach a message on it. But there is so much on, on wives and mothers and women when you, when you look at it all. Um, and the significant role that they play. And now I'm not up here as an egalitarian or a subordinist or a patriarchal complementarianist or anything. I'm just up here reading scripture and telling you what it says from how I understand it. And I think what I see here is this. So much emphasis on it. You guys know the first evangelist ever was a woman? A woman with five husbands. She was the first commissioned evangelist by Jesus. Wasn't a man, wasn't one of his 12 disciples. She was a woman. You know who the very first apostle was? The very first, first person sent with the commission to tell people about the resurrection? It was a woman. First evangelist ever and the first apostle ever, both commissioned by Jesus in the flesh. So it's hard to understand where people get these other crazy ideas from. This is who Jesus entrusted these two key things to. Um, and then he knows what he's built. God, God is the one who designed the genders. He designed male. He designed female. He designed the role of father, the role of mother. He designed what each gender would be um, naturally inclined towards in their makeup, in the way they've designed. And, you know, he's given them grace and almost superpower to walk in that. We see that. 
So knowing this, I wanted to put that out there because Jesus was on a mission. Everything he did was specific. He didn't do this by accident. He just stumbled across a woman at the well and say, oh, hey, yeah, go tell people. Right? He didn't rise from the grave, turn around and be like, oh, a woman. Oh, you'll do. Go ahead. Go tell people I'm alive. You know, he didn't do that. It was specific. This is why Jesus came to show us the truth. This is the specific part. He literally tells us this is why he came. Jesus, when we're like, why was I born? Jesus answered the question. He said, I was born and came for this reason, to testify to the truth. That's what he said. In another part, right, he says, hey, guys, this is why I'm here. Upon this rock, this revelation that you just got, I am going to establish my church. And so we see that the self-revelation of him as the son of God, as the God made flesh, was in order to establish his church. So he was born to testify of the truth. And his mission was to reveal himself in order to establish his church. So Jesus comes to show us the truth. As a result, he establishes his church, which is, and this is the words of Paul in scripture, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And it is the actual entity through which he makes his multifaceted wisdom known to rulers and authorities in the heavens and everywhere. Do you get that? It's, it's seamless when you see it that way, right? He was born to testify the truth. His mission was to establish the pillar and the foundation of truth on the earth. And that vehicle, that church, that pillar and foundation of the truth was going to be used by God to reveal the multifaceted wisdom of God to everything everywhere. Church seems pretty important. And we've been given as the church the gospel as our primary vehicle to go accomplish the mission, which is salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. That's the mystery revealed, guys. We've been given this weapon, and in Romans 1, it tells us that this weapon, right, the gospel, is the very power of God for our salvation. So we have a really clear picture. The church has been given the gospel as the power of God to bring salvation. We've also been given the administration of the church in how we are to live according to the truth. And this is meant to adorn the gospel. Right? This is what Paul's job was. God gave him direct revelation to say, hey, to Jesus, to Paul. This is, you know, uh, self-interpreted conversation that may or may not have ever happened. Paul, I gave them, I established the church, and now I need you to go reveal the administration of the church. Go tell them what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to live, what its mission is supposed to be here. Okay, you got it. And then in Ephesians 3, he tells people, you guys, you guys have heard about the administration of God's grace to me and how I've been given the administration of the church to reveal that to you guys? And we're like, yes. He's like, okay, here it is. And then he gives us the teaching, which we call the Didache today, right? And it's this beautiful handiwork, right? We have the kerygma, which is the proclamation of the gospel. It's the proclamation of the good news. It's literally the action of going. It is the centerpiece. It's the thing everyone needs to believe in order to identify as a Christian. The kerygma, the gospel. 
But it's a very utilitarian message when you just say it. It's just information. It's a truth. But then instead, he partners that with the administration of the church, which is the lifestyle, the living it out. And that living it out is what adorns the message and makes it beautiful and it makes it attractive and it makes it powerful. So much so, so powerful that it produces salvation in hearts and souls on the earth. It's the message and the adorning of that message that creates this power. And that's what we see in Scripture. This is why Paul is so, so emphatic about people identifying as part of the church living according to those teachings. And why he's so emphatic about removing people who refuse to do so. Because the witness is the adorning of the message that saves. And it says that you will know, they will know that you are mine by your love one for another. But that's not mushy-gussy, hug-a-lot love. It's sacrificial love. It's the type of love that a mother lives out every day. Recently. Do you know how many days my mother woke up, met me in the morning, and then thought, I really love you. I'll give you a hint. It was decreasing in the amount of time as I grew. There are many times, many times, I see Melanie very, very not affectionate towards our children, but still loves them sacrificially in that moment, during that time. It's demonstrated. It's a witness to me. It's a witness to them. It will be a testimony their entire lives. You know, when I was going through a, a process in my life and I was trying to really, really reconnect and reimagine, I mean, reconnect with the fact that God really does love me, right? Went through a whole long, like, period of my life where suddenly I didn't believe that. And I was like, man, I know you do, but I also know I am very disappointing, and I must be the most frustrating person to deal with. And I know that I have a hard time loving people who frustrate me often, so can you remind me why you love me again? Right? And people, oh, I love you just the way you are. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm a parent. That's not true. And then I remember God gave me a lot of insight, though, in terms of my relationship with my daughter, Liana. She's my second born. Um, and, you know, I love her to death, um, but not because she's been easy. Guys, look, this is what I wrote. See, this is the postcard. It's really worn out on the top because it's been in here for a while. This is what I wrote. Um, I said, you know my worst, yet love me most. I mean, that's grace and love. And then I said, you love me intimately. You enjoy me affectionately. You care about me deeply. And I wrote that so I could convince myself by reading that over and over and over again. But then the insight God gave me was this, was through Liana. <clears throat> and I wrote, you love me intimately just as I love Liana intimately. And see, I was connecting a proclaimed truth with an experienced truth. And I said, you enjoy me affectionately just as I enjoy Liana affectionately. And I said, you care about me deeply just as I care about Liana deeply. And then I put examples under each. So you love me intimately just as I love Liana intimately. I said, well, here are some examples. I pray for her. I have good thoughts about her. I agape her. I phileo her. Agape means sacrificial love. Phileo means affectionate love, like family level love. Then I said, you enjoy me 
affectionately, just as I enjoy Liana affectionately. I said through sports or playing games or video games, hugs, cuddles, laughing, silliness, sorge, which is affectionate love. I said, you care about me deeply just as I care about Liana deeply. I pray for her. She frustrates me through having to discipline her, coaching her, motivating her, leading her in her life. I gave these demonstrations to myself. And this is a bookmark that I keep in Song of Solomon. Which is a different message. You don't need to go into that. But my point is this, guys. This type of stuff that you see on display, this is how I connected with the fact that God loved me. And when I watch Melanie do this, and I am intimately acquainted with Melanie, I intimately know her shortcomings, her flaws, just like she knows mine, and yet I still see her in the midst of that, waking up every day to serve her children and her family, and not just her children and family, but other people in her life as well, consistently, constantly, it's a witness and a demonstration that helps me recognize God loves me. It's a powerful testimony of this thing. Here's the thing about adorning the gospel that mothers do. Everyone does, but guys, we're focusing on mothers today. You can't preach freedom while you're in chains, right? She's going to listen to you. Don't believe you. You can't free yourself. Why would they believe you? You can't preach joy while you're miserable. No one's going to listen to you. You can't preach submission while you're in rebellion. No one's going to listen to you. You can teach what you know, but you're going to reproduce who you are. So who you are becomes the central uh, key factor in this truth of adorning the gospel. You see, if the gospel is the power of God into salvation... Right? The charisma is the proclamation of it. The didache is the adorning of it. Then the gospel message will be the result of what's in you. And if what's in you is light and truth, and you're living according to the teachings of Scripture, the gospel will be attractive. And when you preach it, it will be powerful. And it will transform people. And Jesus knew this, which is why he set up the church. He didn't pick 12 guys and send them out as lone rangers to just go become mighty evangelists to the ends of the earth. Just to try to save as many people as they could. He didn't appoint Paul and send him out to just save as many people as he could. He didn't send any of them out to have rallies or, you know, revival services or anything like that. He sent them out to establish the church. To establish ecclesias wherever he went. If they wanted to use those tools, those are great. If those work to establish churches, awesome. If they don't, get rid of them. Find something that works because the mission is to establish the church. And what is the church? The church, according to Paul's administration, is the powerful demonstration of families loving each other sacrificially with Jesus at the center of it. They call them charismatic communities, meaning communities centered around the proclamation of this gospel truth. That's what Jesus was establishing. At the center of any family is the role of mothers. And in the early church, when the church was spontaneously busting at the seams and going from 12 people to 3,000 to 8,000 to 20,000, there was this element that was at the center of it, guys. And it's, it's, it's one of these things that get overlooked, except not by a lot of people in our community. We've been picking it up. We've been realizing this concept of hospitality. 
guys don't realize this, right? Because we focus on preaching and teaching, right? The Bible says that the elders who give themselves to preaching and teaching especially are worthy of double honor. And so that gets emphasized a lot. What we don't realize is that one of the requirements in order to even qualify to be one of those elders is you must be hospitable. Right? And we've dumbed down the term hospitable down to, hi, how are you? Have a donut. Right? That's just a hospitality ministry in a lot of places, right? My job is to make sure people are greeted with a smile and they have a snack. Hospitality in the context of scripture was opening up your home and making them feel like they belong there. Opening up your life and making them feel like they are welcomed there. However you demonstrate that, however you go about that, that is biblical hospitality and it's a call, it's a commission, it's a gift for many, but it's a requirement for church leadership. Lots of amens here, brother. <laughs> Thank you. It's a requirement for church leadership. But here's the thing. Why do we, we, we tend to think like, oh, hospitality, like, in my example, at least, I can't say this authoritatively, but women do it better than men. Where I saw this most demonstrated, we used to do a thing called J-Ways before we did life groups. J-Ways were gender specific. And I had a J-Way at my house on a Wednesday night, and Melanie had a J-Way at her house on a Thursday night. Her house was also my house. Uh, and so we like commission, we like guys, J-Ways, make sure you're, there's hospitality going, make sure you're welcoming. And so my J-Way, we made, hey, let's have snacks and drinks, right? That meant someone grabbed a two liter of something and someone else grabbed a box of Little Debbie's cookies or something. And we threw them on the kitchen table and then we just went about our business. We wanted to get to the mission, to get to the point. Yeah, everyone grab a cookie and a cup. Oh, there's no cups. Just, just drink some from the bottle. We're fine. And then we have J-Way. And then the next day was her J-Way. Her J-Way, I'd come in after work, right before J-Way was about to begin, and there's like things on the curtains, there's like lights sparkling everywhere, there's tablecloths on the table, there's drinks and hors d'oeuvres and, you know, laid out stuff, and uh, the candles are going, the, the house has been spotless. My J-Way, we just move clothes and stuff to make room for people to sit. Her J-Way, it's spotless people coming in. And what happened was, this was consistent across the board. And a lot of the guys started saying, man, can we go to their J-Way? <laughs> so then we decided to just combine the J-Ways into life groups where both guys and girls can come there, and now the guys can reap the benefits. That's not really the reason we felt led by God to do it, but it's a fringe benefit for the guys. Am I right, guys? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying they sent to do it. The mother nature, the mother heart, whether it's nature or nurture, I don't know. Go ask a psychologist. I'm telling you what I've observed, the witness that I've seen, the testimony that I've lived out and, and experienced myself, is that this, this nurturing nature that, that comes with these mothers, they tend to just do it well. And it's backed up by evidence for the early church. When you read uh, primary source documents of people who wrote about the church, 
both saved and unsaved people throughout history, especially in the first century, they testified to the power of the woman's leadership in these ecclesias. Okay? The church exploded in this context of meeting when you could, where you could, in homes, houses, and these women throughout Scripture, when you read about Paul and his co-workers and his missionaries, so many women that he describes as where the church met in their house, where the church met in their house. And early church testifies that these women were a, a massive catalyst to the expansion of the gospel because of how they made the church welcoming. Now, some people feel like, oh, of course, yeah, well, it's their spot in the kitchen. Women belong in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant, right? Like that type of manly mindset gets assumed. No, here's the problem. We don't recognize the different genders and what God has created people to do, so we expect leadership to look masculine, and that is left over from the patriarchy. Ha, ha, ha. Okay? But the truth is, they are powerful in their own right with what they've done, and they were powerful leaders in the early church. And this is what they did that the men were not very good at in general. I'm sure there were some that were great. And the team together of the, the charisma and the Didache, right, being lived out in, in the family between husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, being lived out, demonstrated the gospel message that said, man and woman, one flesh, representing God. Right? I'm going to close with Ephesians 5.25, but the whole point of that was this, that husbands and wives exist to testify of Christ and his church. You know how his church is described? As a bride. His church was commissioned to be fruitful and multiply, to produce offspring, children. This is the imagery God uses for his church. And God said this, a husband is to lay down his life for his wife in order to make her everything she can be. And then Jesus demonstrates that himself with the church. But the reason why this is so important for the husband and wife here natural is because it's meant to testify, to point, to adorn the truth of the gospel, which is Jesus with his church. Without it, the church doesn't have the gospel power that it needs to produce salvation. Without that combination, it's not there. It's one arm behind their back. It's just men going out and preaching and then trying to get women to preach and go out and be like men and preach like men. And you end up really big right arm, really small left arm. But if, if we read the scriptures correctly and we, we saw what God was doing and empowering and the combination of the charisma and the Didache and the, the, the utilitarian type message adorned by the livingness and people come to the church and they say, wow, I know that you are Christ because of your love for one, for one another um, from the message Peter just preached. That's how I knew you loved each other so much. You think that's what it was? You think people heard Peter preaching to them how they were responsible for crucifying Christ? And they were like, man, the love you guys have for one another is so powerful. Where are people supposed to see that? They know that you are, that we are his by our love one for another. But they're not seeing that when Paul is preaching at the Oropagus. They're not seeing that when Peter is preaching to the masses. They're seeing that when they come into the homes. And the home feels like a home. And the home feels like they belong there, that they're welcome there, and they're received in there. By the people who have been making it a home their whole lives.
This role, mothers, they're central to the gospel. And we miss that today because our, our common experience with the church is so limited to just, say, a Sunday gathering instead of the full picture. And we have so many people who don't, up, don't, don't open up their homes, don't allow for this to happen, and that's, that's something that we need to change and grow in because the world needs to see the gospel. It needs to see it adorned. It needs to see it lived out in power. This is Titus 2. What time is it? Oh, I've got plenty of time. Just kidding. You guys are going to go and get celebrated, mothers. I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm just going to read like two scriptures, okay? Titus 2. I want you to see the adorning in biblical language so you don't just think I'm making it up. This is Paul writing to Titus, one of his right-hand guys that he sent to establish churches. But you must speak what is consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible and sound in faith, love and enduring. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and children. Husbands and children must have been tough to love if they needed to be encouraged to do so, right? I mean, it's practical. If it was easy to do, would you need to be encouraged to do so? No one has to encourage me to go have a good time. I do that naturally. I do that voluntarily. I am always looking to do that. People have to encourage me to stop doing that and go do something that needs to be done instead. But here, he gets sent to encourage the young women to love their husbands and children, to be sensible, pure, good homemakers, and submissive to their husbands. Why, though? Right. Oh, there's that word, submission. Listen, we're all submitting to someone somewhere. Guys, no one gets to escape submission, ever. I'm a husband and a man. I have to submit all the time. If I don't submit, I don't get a paycheck. Okay? If I don't submit, I get arrested. If I don't submit, I don't get to preach. Right, Sean? <laughs> uh, I caught you sleeping. You don't even have the mic on. Okay. Ha, 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 ha. It just takes a long time for it to come on, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. It tells you why. This is what, it, this is what I love about Titus. <clears throat> it says this. So that, this is why you do all those things. All those things. So that God's message will not be slandered. Why? Because it needs to be adorned not slandered. If you live this way, then it gets adorned instead of slandered. Likewise, encourage the young men to be sensible about everything. Set an example of good works yourself with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. Why? So that opponents will be ashamed having nothing bad to say about us. Again, they won't be able to slander it. They will only be able to adorn it. Then it says, servants, be submissive to your masters in everything, and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God, our Savior, in everything. Three examples to three different roles, three different places, all requiring to live according to the teachings that Paul has laid out for one reason, to make sure the gospel is adorned. The other one is 1 Peter 3. First Peter chapter 3, 
starting in verse 1. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. That's a superpower. Guys, that is a superpower. Did you hear what it said? How many of you guys, men or women, would be willing to submit in order to save a soul? Interactive, guys, come on. Seriously, none of you? It's literally our call. Submit one another unto the Lord. Guys are awful. In love. Did you hear that, though? Did you hear the reason? The witness of this demonstration of a trust in God and living according to the teachings God gives them can literally save a wretched, unbelieving husband without having to preach a word. That's the power of the adorning of the gospel message. It's living it out. It's making it attractive. It's making it beautiful. She could preach till the cows come home and not make a dent, but by living it, it becomes attractive. It becomes seen. It becomes desired. Why people even take it away? It says this, that they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure and your reverent lives. Your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold ornaments, or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. It says, For in the past, the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, Submitting to their husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling, Lord, you have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. I don't want you to misunderstand this. When it says weaker, it's talking about uh, like how fine china is weaker than cast iron. Okay, that's the imagery it's going here. Not weaker, like, oh, pure, help me, I'm a damsel in distress, I need to be saved. Right? It's men are cast iron, you, you know, think you, you can bang them around, blah, 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 they're thick-headed, they bang, they, they one-track mind, but they get things done. Right? Whereas women are like fine china. Anyone has a choice, they're going to use the fine china over the cast iron plates. Right? Because they adorn things. They make things beautiful. They take what the cast iron does and they make it look beautiful. They present it in such a way that only they can do. And he's saying that, that you are to do this and treat them as co-heirs. But here's the thing. Here's what God puts on that. If you don't, your prayers will be hindered. God's saying, are you talking to me? I'm not listening. You are not treating your wife the way I commanded you to. You are not bringing her, you are not laying your life down to, to lift her up. So go do that and then come back and talk to me. Can you imagine that? That your prayers before God can be hindered. That's the type of value and importance God is putting on this person, this role. 
This is an example of Smith Wigglesworth and his wife, which you guys can go read. I'll give you the details. Uh, I mean, for the details, summarize simply this. Smith Wigglesworth was a young man who was a radical missionary part of the Salvation Army, and he met his wife there, and they got married, and they were both missionaries. Well, he backslid and turned away from God and wanted nothing to do with God, rejected God, and his wife continued to pursue and pray. He used to lock her out of the house because she refused not to read her Bible. Many nights she would go into the doghouse at night in order to read her Bible. She was abused by Smith Wigglesworth verbally, emotionally. I don't know. I don't know if it was physical. I don't ever remember reading that. But she endured and she persevered and she prayed and she trusted God. And her witness is what Smith test gives testimony to as to why he came back to the Lord. And then that man went on to be the evangelist we've all read about with hundreds and thousands of souls being saved and signs and wonders that followed. Tons and tons. You can read about John Wesley and Charles Wesley and read about their mom, Anna Wesley. Just go look her up and read about her. She had 15 children and raised those kids. 22? Okay, 22. They didn't have TV back then. (laughs) Um, but an amazing woman that they testify and give credit to for who they are. These world-changing people testify that their mothers are who held to make them who they are. They give them the credit. It's a powerful thing to see. Anyway, last one. In this passage, in Ephesians 5.25, this is what we see. We see that Christ is giving a teaching. Now, in this passage, this is the one... Uh, gets a lot of, lot of attention, right? But when you look at it, there's three commands in this entire, the rest of the chapter, Ephesians 5 on, to women. And there's nine to men. Nine to men, three to women. Yet somehow this passage becomes the wives submit passage. <laughs> right? Ignorance. That's why we're having an apologetics conference, people. So you won't be ignorant anymore. Make sure you register. Sign up. May 20th and 21st. It's right out there. Go to the website or the newsletter tab on the website where you can go and register. Or to my Facebook page. I post it daily. <clears throat> anyway, in this passage, there's nine to men. And what's beautiful here is, again, Paul reveals that the reason why he's emphasizing the importance of this relationship is because it's about Christ and the church. And this is in the book of Ephesians, which is all about the revealing of the church as the vehicle that reveals the gospel to the world. And so Paul, towards the end, starts talking about husbands and wives in this household order text, telling wives, make sure you do this. It's important. It's important to the gospel message. It's important that you live according to this ways because the gospel must be adorned by your demonstration. Then he says, men... I have nine different things to tell you to stop doing and do differently than you've been doing. And what he tells them to do, which was radical in their time, was this. To love your wives as Christ has loved the church. To lay your life down for her. You know how radically different that was in their culture? In their culture, women were property for the most part. Understand? Wives were a status symbol for the wealthy. And a servant for the not wealthy in the Greek culture at that time. Paul comes and says, husbands, 
Love your wives. But don't just love them the way you think. Love them the way Christ loved the church. Laying your life down for them. Giving yourself of, giving all of yourself to them to help them become everything they're supposed to be. Why? Because their adorning of the gospel is what makes it powerful. And Jesus knew that because his adorning of the church is what makes it powerful. The church's message is nothing if it wasn't for Christ raising it up, making it pure, making it righteous, making it holy. And now that demonstration of the gospel adorns the gospel. The glory of God is seen through the raising up of his church. So much so that he said, the multifaceted wisdom of God is going to be revealed even to the rulers in the heavens through this. He kept it a mystery throughout all history until this moment, and then he raised it up. And Paul is saying, guys, that's, that's your job. You want to see the church powerful? You want to see the church do what it's supposed to do? Then you need to literally lay your life down and raise up your wife Help her be the best mother possible to your children. Help her to be the best mother to many people in the church community. Make her do everything you can to lift her up to help her become everything she's supposed to be before God. And God will take care of you. Don't worry about it. Right? It's the difference. It's the difference between a husband ruling their home with an iron scepter. Right? Instead of serving their home with a crown of thorns. It's a big difference. But Christ chose the crown of thorns. So for me, like I said, what I said many times tonight is this, that mothers are central to the mission of the church when we see why, when we understand the big picture. And there's a lot to it. You might have to go back and listen to the message three times to see the flow of it, but understanding that Christ came to testify to the truth and then to establish the pillar and the foundation of the truth so that his multifaceted wisdom could be made known through the church and the administration of the church that teaches us what the church is. And when we get there, we see it's a family. It's a family of families. Whereas the world will know that we are Christ by our love one for another and sitting at the very center of that is mother. God could have brought Jesus here in many, many different ways. He chose to do it through a mother. He exemplified that mother through his whole life. Read the story of Jesus. Anyone here know how Joseph died? Me either. No one does. You don't hear about him ever again. Yet Mary was there before Jesus was conceived. Well, he was conceived worshiping through the songs. Her songs are what's recorded as she carries Jesus in the womb. Her concern is what's recorded as they forget him back in the temple and lose him and they go back for him. It's not Joseph speaking to Jesus. It records Mary speaking to Jesus these words. She is there at his appointment. She is there at his first miracle. She is there at his death. She is there testifying of his resurrection. Joseph was an awesome person, but God didn't need him to, to bring Jesus. He did it without him. I don't know if that's a big theological point. I'm just observing that point. That's all. Men are still super important. On Father's Day, we'll hear all about them, but it's not Father's Day, so. 
I think there's so much emphasis on it, and this is what I'm saying. God has asked us to do this, and it's ever so more important today in the epic cultural battle we're fighting right now, the demonic battle against abortion, against just the systematic eradicating of children while in the mother's womb. And we need a revival of the church where women can come in and see what a mother looks like under the grace of God and the power of God and what this role looks like and the importance of this role and the high calling of this role. It's critical. But this role has been lost and it's been minimized and because of it, we've lost our identity as a church and as a people and God wants to revive the church so that the world can be reawakened to the gospel. And this will happen when we see this and God's moving and we see it, guys. Literally with Roe v. Wade about to be overturned, that's a supernatural miracle and a sign and a wonder, right? And it's a precursor that we need to look at and say, it's time to rise up. Women rise up, walk in your power, walk in your calling. Men rise up to lay down your lives, to lift them up so the gospel can be adorned. It needs to be made beautiful, guys. It's not enough to just go, go and preach it. We need to adorn it. We need it to be attractive. We need people to say, that is where Christ is. How do I know? Because I've not seen love like that. They lay their lives down for one another. So let's take some time right now. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, guys, which is to seal the truth in our hearts, to really cause this truth to produce something real, to produce vision, to produce change in our hearts. Okay? Just begin to engage with the heart of God right now. Just begin to pray. Begin to think, begin to meditate. You allow the God-given imagination that you have to begin to imagine what it could look like, what your life could look like if you begin to walk and prepare for what God has done, that we can adorn this gospel in whatever your role is in that. Jesus, you're good, God. We just ask that you do that work right now, God, that you would begin to move in our hearts, that you'd allow this truth to really settle, to produce change, to produce vision for who you are and what you're doing, God. God, that homes would be strengthened, that people would be strengthened, that your witness and your testimony in your church would be strengthened and adorned, and it would go out and it would shine. It would shine with the truth of the gospel, empowered, emphasized by the lives lived by your people, God. This is really a day of repentance for all. You know, men, if you've lorded over your wives and you've not been as Christ who laid down his life for the church, I just encourage you to just recommit your heart and align yourselves with the truth but mothers there's some of you who try to run your houses rule over your husbands control everything this is your day to say lord i'm going to take a step of faith here and i'm going to lay down my life to you i'm going to surrender my heart 
and say, Father, use me to make this family beautiful and not contentious. And then let God just, by doing this, you release God to go after the other parts and everything becomes whole and lined up and flowing and working together. It's Mother's Day, but mothers, I encourage you to repent and just come to the Lord and just lay down, lay your heart before him, submit to him that he might lift you up. So Lord, we just come now, we just say, breathe upon this church, breathe upon marriages, Lord, make them healthy, make them strong. I pray for the women that you would give them the faith and the trust, you'd break down insecurity and fear of being controlled. I pray, Lord God, that you would cause them to be filled with your love that casts out all fear. Father, I pray for the men that they would walk in fear of the Lord and realize that they have an incredible role to bow down and lay down their lives and lift up the prized possession, the gift given by God, the wife, the mother. Father, I pray for kids that if they're young, you would, I challenge you to repent. That you'd, if you've been stubborn and difficult to deal with and difficult to parent, I, I, I challenge you to bow your heart to the Lord and say, Father, forgive me. I ask you to make me pliable. Make me a joy to lead and to parent. Let it be a prayer in your heart to God. I pray for parents today that you would give them patience. Give them such long-suffering, unconditional love, even if they're dealing with very difficult situations with their kids. Give them the firmness to lay down boundaries and truth and not succumb to just throwing in the towel because they're frustrated and giving up hope. Lord, let perseverance be so evident. Pour it out upon us, God. Come on, respond to God. Take a few minutes here. Just respond to God and ask him, Lord, do a work in me today. I challenge you not to just pray for your husbands, mothers, or your, your wives, or wives, or husbands praying, saying, Lord, change my wife. Lord, let it begin with me. That's our prayer. Father, change me. Let me be a catalyst. Let me be an agent of change. Let me be filled with your spirit in a powerful way. Let the work be evident to all in my heart. Come on, take a few minutes here. Let's respond.